So everybody, real quick, our topic today is automating FinOps for cloud resellers and MSPs. Powerful, profitable services at scale. We have Alan Hand, Stephen O'Dwyer, Eric Peterson, Matt Fox, and Joe Henderson. Joe, I want to reach over to you and go off of Matt's thing that he was talking about, uh, really the automation around EBS volumes. And we we're talking about the 2.0 version. How are partners helping with this 2.0 version? We had the 1.0, now we have the 2.0. How, how is this helping? Yeah, so what we're seeing is a lot of partners that are um, that are taking advantage of these types of products. They're able to go in there, whether it's a well-architected review or a pure FinOps assessment, and they're able to find out very clear savings that their customers can go after right away. So before, if you were selling these you know, 1.0 tools, these were hypothetical savings, and hopefully the RI would pay off at some point. So if you're a cloud partner and you're trying to do this type of project, but also this modernization project, you can utilize these types of tools to create budget and push along those other projects quicker. So um, the partners that we're working with are using a blend of tools, and there's even this emerging, these consultancies, these small consultancies, they're actually using the sort of the, the trinity or the trifecta, whatever we're going to call it, of Exosphere, uh, Cloud Zero, and Prosper Up. So it's pretty exciting because people, they need to deliver those immediate results. At what point is there just too many tools to use, though? <laughs> I mean, to get all of this work done, I know there's no one magic uh, and I'm going to get a single pane of glass for all these tools, right, to utilize. But there is a variation or combination of tools that we can use to get the job done and actually accomplish what we're doing. We're not going to be able to do 100% of all the stuff out there. We've all agreed that uh, engineers are not going to touch it. Cost is not going to be a, a huge factor. It, the variation between actually doing it and the decommission of the architecture when it comes down, we're just going to leave it run. Are, are, are we, we're not going to be able to do it. Oh, Eric, I think I touched uh, the song. Uh, what you, do you, you got? You touched the nerve. You know, so the, the interesting thing is like today, the cloud has solved so many problems for me as an engineer, right? I used to be just, you know, up at night. How the hell am I going to scale this thing? How am I going to make this work? What happens if I have a million customers? How am I going to deal with this? How, you know, am I going to be able to provision enough? Those problems are gone. I don't worry about scale anymore. I have infinite scale. I don't know if anybody's figured it out. I don't have infinite wallet, right? You know, and if anything, it's made our lives simpler as builders because there's really one metric. And I love the well-architected framework, Matt, you know, and talking, you know, particularly when we work with partners because this, this skill set problem is also a challenge. Like the cloud isn't just a place where you put some servers. It's, it's actually, I think, better thought of as an operating system. It gives you compute. It gives you storage. It gives you memory. You make API calls to do it. But nobody's rewritten their software for this new operating system. And that's mm -hmm. why it is so freaking expensive. But I've seen amazing things. It's like, you know, take a quote out of Blade Runner right, in my mm -hmm. mind, right? You know, it's like, I've seen, you know, clouds on fire off the shores of Orion, right? You know, so it's like, what am I going to do in order to get to this new operating system efficiently? Because there are systems that I've seen gone from hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to like a few hundred dollars. All because they re-architected or redid their code in order to do it or rebuilt the application? Because they, they thought differently about it, right? You know, do I need to make that API call every, every millisecond or can I do it once per day, right? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? And when you have visibility, you make instant choices. I've seen customers shave $1.7 million off of their bill just by giving their engineers visibility, right? And they did that because the engineers were suddenly like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. Because there's this tight, tight coupling between a well-architected system and a cost-effective one, right? You get those things pulled together, you're going to be building some amazing things. And not only that, every engineer today who masters that skill, they're going to be the most in-demand software engineer on the planet right now. If they can show up and be like, hey, not only can I write code, 
But that code is efficient. It is cheap. That's it's saving it, a bunch of money. It saves a bunch. And th those engineers, they're the ones making the buying decision, right? So they actually have more power than anywhere else. You might have to get like 20 approvals to like go buy oh. a dinner here in <laughs> Vegas, right? You know, in the expense system. But I can write a line of code and spend $10,000. Nobody will know. Uh, they won't know until the end of the month. Alan, yeah. do you agree? <laughs> I, I, I mean, not about the expense and, uh, you know, the 10000 a month, but... I completely agree. I mean, engineers, by their very nature, are exist to optimize things. If you look at everything that engineering has accomplished over the years, right, it's op optimizing for efficiency, for performance, for latency, whatever it might be. This is just a new dimension of optimization. Engineers already know how to optimize. They just now need the tools and the visibility to be able to make those decisions. And they need to be able to have the mindset that make that an important dimension to optimize on. But once you accomplish those two things, then it's, you know, it's easy for them. This is all they're doing every day on a regular basis. It's just a new dimension. Mm -hmm. So Stephen, I actually, I agree with Eric, the reporting capabilities, right? I think giving engineers visibility, don't give them too much information because you pour over it, they're just going to ignore it. But if I think they understand that each and every action that they make has a cost associated with it. Everything that they're doing, say, hey, listen, I've got X, Y, and Z. It's going, to, you know, the APIs cost uh, 0 0.00 cents and you're making 1 million of them and you're costing me $100,000 a month. Is there a way we can be efficient at it? Now you've just gamified a way for them to do this. The whole purpose of the FinOps culture is making business-driven decisions in order to do it and be efficient and report on the right metrics. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and these metrics have to be objective and sometimes tailored for that specific team. Um, some are unit economics, depending on what they're producing and what the output is. Uh, Prosperops, we use our own KPI called the effective savings rate, and that is an object objective discount that you're receiving across your entire compute footprint. And so establishing KPIs is, is it a very important step in building your culture, and they should be built at the individual unit level, depending on how your leadership structure is. Mm. Uh, but absolutely, I, I agree that establishing KPIs early on in the FinOps journey will garnish better results.